We're going to continue learning the book of Genesis as we have for the last while and we are going to be kicking off where we left two weeks ago. Last week I was not on air. Don't look for my podcast because my voice was not there. Um, so uh, save of sign language. My family enjoyed the quiet and um, we've missed a week of learning. So we're going back to chapter two of Genesis verse eight. That's where we're going to uh, start off now. We had extensive discussions about the soul and what is the soul? When was Adam born? Why do we have a soul? What is the purpose of the soul? What do we need to do with our soul? And I hope it gave you a bit of enlightenment and understanding. It's a very, very difficult topic, but uh, we try to shed some light on it as always. I invite discussion. We are going to be learning something very interesting today. And this is not only for our Jewish listeners out there, but in fact for the entire Gentile world, for humanity. The teachings we are going to learn now from Genesis, we are going to hopefully straddle verses 8 to 17. So if you do have a Bible, you can open it up, follow it in, have implications for the entire world, in fact, it is for the entire world. But the first two, three verses that we are going to get, in stuck, get, get stuck into, um, starting with verse 8 of chapter 2, talks about this place that we call Gun Eden, the Garden of Eden. And I, I must say, say at the start a preface that there is much to be said about this Garden of Eden. And whilst we are going to learn about its topography and the description of what it is, there are many, many teachings in Torah that this place isn't a physical place. Being that we live in the year 2018 and uh, we've got Google Maps and we're able to zoom in absolutely everywhere, and hopefully by now we have discovered every single place, um, it's yet to have been reported on the news. Uh, that we have found Gun Aden. And so from a Torah perspective, it is a place, but it is also a state of mind. It's a state of being. It's a paradigm that represents reward, represents peacefulness, represents all the good stuff in life. And we need to view it from there because otherwise, you know, you will learn about the topography and say, well, it's not true because I can't find it. So, our rabbis have spent a lot of time giving a lot of interpretation about what this Garden of Eden is all about. And uh, the few first few verses, the verses that I'm going to take you through is going to describe some characteristics of the Garden of Eden. But again, always bear in mind that uh, it's not necessarily a physical place. And bear in mind that... I love to hear your comments or your questions. You can SMS on 34519 or telegram us on 061-895-1019. So let's get stuck into verse 8 that reads as follows. Vayita Hashem Elohim 
Gan Be'eden Mikedem. God planted a garden in Eden to the east. Ve'yasem sham et Adam ashe yatsar. And there he placed the man that he had formed. So the first thing is, is that this is where we get the words Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden, and we are told that it is found in the east. Not quite sure in the east of what, but it is in the east, and our rabbis immediately go and say, why was it called Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden? Because Eden means delight, and um, the the rabbis explain that Therefore, God planted a delightful place in the east, um, and in the east of this delightful place, He planted a garden that con- that 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 contained all kinds of trees. Now, what is very interesting is that this piece of realty, wherever it is in this world, or this paradigm, is very different to the rest of the world because when we followed. The modus operandi of creation, we know that God said, let there be, and there was. Let there be, let, let the trees and the shrubs sprout, and so they did. And they did in a very natural way, in a, in a, in a, um, a flowing way with absolutely you know, no sense of somebody going and saying, well, there was a horticulturist that worked all of this out. And one can understand this when one goes hiking um, in any forest, say the Tsitsikama forest or any other forest, and you are trampling through the shrubbery, the trees, the, the, the foliage, you will see that nature has taken its course and Whatever is growing there is growing there because just that nature has deemed it that way. But now when we're talking about the Garden of Eden, Vayita, God planted, which means that he commanded that in this case, the trees in the garden were specifically put in. They were all commanded to have foliage. They were all filled with fruits. And we are told further that these trees never grew old, nor did they require the attention of any ordinary trees. And there was a lot of them, over 500,000 different species of fruit trees um, that were not only edible from the fruits, but also from the bark, the leaves, and it says that because it was placed in the east, wherever that was, the east wind blew, and fruit that grew because it was on the eastern slope um, were were very beautiful fruit. They were satisfying to the heart, calming to the mind. And from there, the Midrash says the air on the, on the east side is always better since it, since it is the side towards the Garden of Eden. And one more thing that the Talmud teaches us about the Garden of Eden is that it is a, that the entire world is a 60th of the Garden of Eden and the Garden of Eden is a 60th of the delightful place known as Eden. And there, when this saying is said, we're really not talking about physical places. We're talking about many times the rabbis speak about heaven. And they talk about Gan Eden or the Garden of Eden or the world to come. It's a very, very, you know, um, ethereal place. It's not, it's not a physical place. Now, one of the other things that I want just to bring to your attention is if you look back at the words 
in verse 8, Vayita Hashem Elokim Gan Be'eden Mikedem. Listen to these words. Gan Be'eden Mikedem. Why don't you SMS me on 34519 or telegram me on 061-895-1019. Where do we hear these words in our prayers? Gan Be'eden Mi Kedem. Again, 34519-061-895-1019. Where do we hear the words Gan Be'eden Mi Kedem? You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Indeed you are, and we are... Um, Talking about the Garden of Eden, and I posed the question before, um, where do we hear the words Gan Be'eden Mi Kedem? Waiting for some people to sign in. I've seen one, Stephen. Let's just see who else has something on. We'll keep this running for the next uh, 15, 20 minutes. And uh, I have another SMS, as always, to have this learning, Le'iloi Nishmat Yitzchak Ben Herschel. May he have an aliyah, and may all those that are listening um, get some type of inspiration. Right, we will come back to where do we hear the words Gan Be'ed and Mikedem, and we are going to look at verse 9, um, which we are still in the garden. We know that God planted a garden. There were like 500,000 trees there. It was a horticultured uh, garden. It was God planting himself and um, decorating this garden by his own handiwork, verse nine reads as follows: Hashem min ha'adama. God grew out of the ground. Call etz nechmad lemare vetov lemachal. He allowed every tree that is pleasant to look at and good to eat to sprout out of the ground. That is based then on what we said that the trees were fully edible and really beautiful to look at. The eight hachaim betochagan, the eight hadat tovara. Tadam. Here is where the center of the dog, uh, the garden is. In the center, there is eight hachaim, the tree of life, the eight hadat tovara, and the tree of knowledge good and evil. Many discussions about these two trees. Uh, they take center stage when uh, we will start reading about Adam and Eve and their whole uh, existence in the Garden of Eden. But at this point in time, what's important for us to understand was that they were at the center of the garden. There were a few opinions of how they could be at the center because we're really talking about two trees. We're talking about the tree of life. And then we're talking about the tree of knowledge, good and evil. Now, um, some of the opinions go as follows, that the tree of life was, in fact, also the tree of knowledge, good and evil. Therefore, there was one tree in the middle. Um, other rabbis go and say that this tree of life was a very large tree. It had very deep roots. It had a very thick trunk. It had much foliage. And that the second one that's called the tree of knowledge um, surrounded it. Okay, um, like a hedge. So when the Torah talks about the tree of life and the tree of knowledge, good and evil, it is uh, talking about the fact that they were both in the center, the tree of life, huge, big and marvelous, and the tree of knowledge, good and evil, surrounding it. Some rabbis go and say that um, there is a possibility that both trees actually had a single trunk that's why we could say that they're precisely in the center of the garden and then divided into, <clears throat> excuse me, the two trees. Having said that, this, 
this tree of knowledge of life, the tree of the tree of life and the tree of knowledge, good and evil, again, are very, very cabalistic uh, ideas. We are going to touch on them when, in fact, Eve chooses to eat from it. But at this point in time, if in our mind's imagination, we can imagine a beautiful garden somewhere in the east. It's called Gan Eden because it's a garden of delight. Many, many beautiful, delightful tasting trees. And in the center of it all is this tree of life and tree of knowledge, good and evil. Now we're going to do a little bit more topography. Verse 10 says, Venahar yoitse me'eden, lehashkot etagan. That a river came out of Eden, of Eden, to water the garden. Umisham yipared vahaya la'arba rashim, and then um, it it got divided and became four rivers or four heads of rivers. So our rabbis teach us that a stream of water emerged from just under the tree of life. Okay. It had, it, it was a, an incredible stream of water because, um, the water imbued, um, had its characteristic was that it had life and it flooded the garden and it watered the garden um, with its life force. But not only did it water its garden with its life force, it then spread out and it created four major rivers. Verse 11 goes as follows, and now we're going to learn about the four uh, four rivers. Shem Ha'echad Pishon, the first name of the first river is called Pishon, this surrounded the land of Chavila where there is gold. Many rabbis hold that the river Pishon is the Nile, um, and they say, what is the land of Chavila? According to some opinions, this is India. And we're told that this uh, river Pishon has ten tributaries, it's extremely wide, and it, at its narrowest point we are told that it was eight miles broad. We are further told that King Cyrus, who was the king of Persia at the time, sent special people to survey the river, and they discovered that this river, in fact, has 440 tributaries. Now, it's mentioned that it surrounded the, the, the land of Chavila, Asheshem Hazahav, where there is gold, and then in verse 12 we're told, the gold of this land was very good and the, you could also find stones like the onyx stone. So it seems that the, on the bank of this river um, there were precious stones and gold and since there are seven grades of gold, the Torah states that this was good gold. Okay, um, which is the highest grade. It seems like that this is the type of gold that is panned from the river as opposed to excavated as we know in uh, Gauteng. Verse 13 reads, Veshema Nar Hasheni Gichon, the second uh, river that flowed from out from Gan Eden was called Gichon, who has soivev called Eretz Kush. This surrounded the land of Kush, and to many people, this in fact is the land of Ethiopia. And we are told about this river that it was very tubu- turbulent and made a lot of noise. V'shem Hanar Hashlishi Chidekel, the name of the third river is Chidekel. 
That flows east of Ashur. So it's called Hidekel. In Hebrew, many people, uh, many rabbis identified this third river as the Tigris River, which surrounds part of Assyria near Baghdad. It says these waters were very light and it flowed very rapidly and the sound of its flow could be heard at a great distance. And finally, the fourth is Hanahar Haravi Hufarat. Um, the fourth river is called the Euphrates, and this is the one that encompasses the Holy Land. And um, all this, this, this is the river which the rabbis identify is found um, around the, the 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 land of Israel. Many commentators said that. All the rivers came to the Euphrates and asked, why does it, why does its waters not make a loud noise like theirs do? And the Euphrates replied, I have no need to make my voice heard. The advantages and benefits of my water are known to all. And the Midrash continues, the Talmud goes and says, why? Because Euphrates is the word parat. Para means to be fruitful. Peru, uruvu, be fruitful and multiply. And everything that this river touched became fruitful. Um, it's, it's said that if there was an orchard, if that was watered by the Euphrates, then the trees matured in 30 days. If its water was used for the field, grain would grow in three days. And people who drink its water become healthy, and the people who live in this area have many children and large families. And we are told that these four rivers have not changed their course since they were created. Um, let's go through them again just as a summary we have the river Pishon, which we identify as the Nile. Then we have the river Gihon, which we said is found in the or surrounds the land of Ethiopia. We have Chidekel, which we um, call in English the Tigris River, and then Frat, which is the Euphrates. And our rabbis teach that if you see any one of these three, um, these four beautiful rivers, one should make the blessing, Baruch Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, blessed are you, O Hashem, King, Lord, King of the Universe, Oise Maase Bereshit. You are the maker of the work of creation. We are still asking the question, Vayita Hashem Elokim Gan Be'eden Mikedem that Hashem planted a garden of Eden to the east, where in our prayers do we hear the words Gan Be'edem Mikedem? Feel free to SMS on 34519 or telegram on 061-895-1019. We will get the answer pretty soon. Verse 15 um, then goes into the fact that God puts man in the Garden of Eden. God took man. And he put him in the Garden of Eden. To work it and to watch it. First question, where did God take him from? And more importantly, to work it and to guard it. If we are understanding that the Garden of Eden um, was paradise, 
that we, uh, you, you were put into a place where you had every need taken care of and we actually use it euphemistically as a description of paradise. What did Adam have to work and what did he have to God? In fact, we are told um, in the Torah that God showed Adam the garden. He showed him from one end to the other. And he said, check this out. I've arranged all this for your benefit if you are good. And he made him king over the garden. And he made him in charge. Okay. And it says that with one hand, this is Midrash, with one hand, Adam could open or shut even the largest of the springs. And when the angels and the other creatures saw Adam's greatness, they were terrified of him. And a few of them actually thought that God forbid he was God himself. And this is why Adam turned around and said to them, and we say it in the verse in Psalms in Tehillim, Tehillim 95 verse 6, um, come let us bow and kneel before God our maker. He had to tell them that I am not God. I am a, a creature of God. It could be that I'm very godly, but I'm not God. And we need to sing praise to God. And God blessed him. And the angels then realized that he was the highest of creations. It said they served him, they they gave him food, they pressed wine, and they gave him all sorts of other gifts. And the Midrash continues and says, Ten canopies were made for Adam. Some say there were eleven, others say there were thirteen. The least of these were made of gold, and from this we can just imagine what it looked like. So the question is asked, what did he have to work and what did he have to God? Sound like he just got himself. He's the, the bum and the butter. He landed up in paradise. For us, if we close our eyes and think about paradise, paradise sitting on a lounger on the beach, sipping a pina colada. What is there to do? So the answer, first of all, um, is preceded by God took man and put him there. So where was man before? The rabbis teach where he was created. Where was man created? He was created on Haramoria. He was created on that mount, um, uh, mount where, the, where today we know as the Temple Mount, hence the contention, because this contentious piece of um, realty goes all the way back to the beginning of creation. Um, he was created there and then God, so to speak, plucked him out and put him into uh, the Garden of Eden. And why did he have to work it and guard it when he was sitting in paradise? Very simply, he was not there just to go sit and till the land and, you know, set up a, a guard system, put up electric fencing and start becoming a policeman. That's not what the Garden of Eden is all about. And as I mentioned earlier, the Garden of Eden um, most likely, probably, almost 99%, save if we've missed some spot on earth, is a, is a concept, is an idea. And that idea is, is that God created the entire world for our use. It's a metaphor for the entire world. We said that Gan Eden was 160th of this entire world. God has created the whole world for us from South Africa all the way to Iceland, from Australia all the way um, <clears throat> westward. God has created the entire world for us. And it is our job, each and every one of us, 
when we are cognizant of the fact that we do have a soul, that we're a soul in a body, and that we've come here for a purpose, that we work and guard this world. And how do we work it and guard it? Not only through the physical actions we do, but in fact, we have to do it through keeping Torah and mitzvahs. So the rabbis go and teach when, when it says, that he was there to work it and guard it, that this is a metaphor for our purpose in this world. To work it is something positive. And so this, you know, you have to go out and do something. It's a to do, to work it. Um, and so this is, um, talking about that we have 248 positive mitzvot to do and l'shomra, to guard it, guard it, guarding it is a more of a passive thing. We've just got to watch out and see that nothing else goes wrong. That um, relates to, to the 365 um, mitzvot that we have to stay away from. So this whole concept of the Garden of Eden is a concept that is talking about the world at large that man has put on, you and I and everybody else are put into this fabulous world where we are actually given everything and our job is to elevate it through keeping the 248 positive mitzvot and the 365 negative uh, mitzvot. And this is where Adam was uh, placed and this was his task. And by Adam being put on this earth and given this task, he in turn was given the task um, for the whole of humanity. And this is why this message is not only for Jews, but for Gentiles as well. I see that there are quite a few SMSs that have come in. Thank you. All my question was where do we get the words begun Eden Mikedem? And in fact, everybody that has replied has replied correctly. We've had quite a few that have said we hear it in the Sheva Brachot, um, which is correct. Um, <clears throat> and one has replied, Joyce, the prayer comes from the Jewish wedding ceremony. Correct. We say Sheva Brachot at the wedding ceremony and we say it again after benching the seven blessings um when we 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 celebrate with the bride and groom for seven days and why do we say it we say um this blessing um one of the blessings that, that, uh, where we use the words begun Aden Mekedem we are using this blessing because we are blessing the bride and groom that they should be blessed to establish a home, to establish their own Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve initially, which we will learn in the, in, in the next week or two, come together as a husband and wife in absolute bliss, in absolute paradise. And that is our blessing to the bride and groom that they should, their love should grow. They should establish a home that is exactly the way that God created the first home for Adam and Eve begun Aden Mikedem in the Gun Aden that was found in the East. Well done, all of you that answered. You're listening to Robertson Adel Kazilski. Right, we are going now to just explore perhaps one of the most important ideas in these verses, and this is what God says to Adam 
um, when he places him into this glorious paradise. He says, God commands the man saying, You may definitely eat from every tree in the garden. But from the tree of knowledge, good and evil, you cannot eat from it. For when you eat of it, you will definitely die. Now, we ain't even going to get to the second part of do not eat from the tree of knowledge, good and evil. That will be up for discussion next week because there is much to be said about the verse, and God said to man, Mikol etagan achol tuchal. From all the trees of the garden, you may definitely eat. Um, and our rabbis come and ask the question, what command did, did um, Adam get from these words? And they break down the words um, into the various uh, various categories, and because time is of the essence, and I do not have too much time to dissect it in its entirety, let let it just be said that this verse teaches us what is now famously known as the seven Noahide laws, the seven laws that the Torah prescribes for each and every human being, Jew and Gentile. The Jews got another. 606 commandments over and above these seven laws, but um, as humanity and Adam being a person that didn't, there was no religion at that point in time, we received seven Noahide laws. And these laws are there in order for us to establish the world um, on, on, a, on legal parameters and on, on justice and on fairness and on mor- morality and integrity. And as I go through them, please bear in mind, as I'm reading them, you will see that, in fact, um, this is not necessarily the case, sadly, even in 2018. Let's go. And just I will mention in the seven Noahide laws, there are subcategories, and some of them I will mention some of the subcategories. The very first is that one is not allowed to worship idols. One is not allowed to see any other um, person, thing, object, idea, um, something that is worthy of our prayers to it. We only believe in the one eternal God and we have a direct relationship with him. We have no Intermediaries. That is not to worship idol. Another uh, s- uh, category, the s- uh, second one, is not to have forbidden uh, sexual encounters. Um, those most people um, look at that and think about adultery. Obviously, any man with a married woman um, that is not for, that that is forbidden. But there are many many subcategories of that. One cannot have. Um, uh, a sexual encounter, a son with his mother, a man with his father's wife, um, a brother and sister if they have the same mother, a human with any animal. And here is the the biblical prohibition against homosexuality as well.
The third commandment that all of humanity has to uh, keep is that one is not allowed to commit murder. Murder is not is is when one takes a human life in any way whatsoever. So the subcategories of murder is not only somebody that you just decide to annihilate and kill, but it also um, for uh, it also pertains to killing an unborn child. So we do not believe <clears throat> in having an abortion, um, and the same thing we do not believe in euthanasia. Um, and in fact, it is. The rabbis teach that a Gentile is not allowed to kill another person for any reason whatsoever unless it is in self-defense, and it was the only way to stop the person. If you're able to uh, stop them in their tracks by doing anything else, you are commanded to do it. Otherwise, you are guilty of committing murder. We have the fourth commandment of do not steal, and this is not only about stealing money. It's stealing something that's just more than a penny's worth. And so under this subcategory, we have the idea of when one works for another person, one may not use things that are, that belong to that person for one's own usage. For example, you work in an office, you have internet, it's there to make you work better and you spend the time surfing and doing your own things on there. It also, Holds on the employer side, for example, in withholding a worker's wages. All of this is under do not steal. It is considered theft. The fifth obligation um, that is for humanity is to appoint judges and police officers. We need to have courts. We need to have judges. We need to have law and order. And this is <clears throat> obviously vital and important for the the, the correct running of our societies. The sixth is not to curse God. Even a Gentile is forbidden to curse the Creator. It says if he does so, he is, he will incur the death penalty. And finally, at this point in time, we also have the command, the seventh command of which is do not eat flesh from a living animal, meaning that it was forbidden at that point in time to cut off a part of a living animal and Eat it, and that extends. This prohibition extends to even the smallest um, piece of meat. Even if the animal was properly slaughtered, and both the windpipe and gullet are severed, if one one may still not cut off a piece of meat and eat it as long as the animal was showing any sign of motion. And I want everybody to hear that because uh, we have a tremendous amount of resistance against the laws of, of of kosher and keeping kosher, particularly by those who are concerned about. The, the health and, and well-being of the animal, we, this is a law not only for Jewish people, for non-Jewish people, that we cannot partake of an animal if it showed any sign of motion, and we go about doing this in a very, very kind and considerate way. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. We are going to sum up what we've learned today, vitally important foundations and pillars for healthy society, taking the Garden of Eden as the metaphor for this world and for our ability to partake of this entire world, but we have to work at it and we have to guard it. And as humanity, we have to stay away from seven main things. We're not allowed to worship idols. We're not allowed to have forbidden sexual encounters. We're not allowed to commit murder. We are not allowed to steal. We have to appoint judges and police officers. We're not to curse God and not eat the flesh 
from every living animal. There's much, much to be said more about each and every one and the question why on each and every one. And unfortunately, we don't have the time and capacity to go through each of these. But if you actually just spend a few minutes thinking about them, you will see that these parameters, these borders lend oneself to help healthy and happy societies where one is respectful of each and every human being as an individual, their right to happiness, their right to freedom, their right to live in a safe place, and the right for everybody to respect one another. And it would be absolutely marvelous, amazing, outstanding if, in fact, our societies allowed and uh, promoted the, uh, us to live according to these standards. So that's what is found in verse 16 where God says that Mikol etzagan achel tochel, um, it's, it's, it's learned through various ways, these seven commandments. And please God, when I'm on the air next week, we are going to then go into the idea of why were they not allowed to eat from the tree of knowledge Good and evil. In the meantime, I wish you all a wonderful week, a healthy week, an inspiring week, a week where we are preparing to celebrate once again the creation of this world, which in fact will be next week, um, where we are t- doing a spiritual accounting of what we have accomplished and what we have not, and uh, preparing ourselves for that great day called Rosh Hashanah. So in the meantime, have a wonderful week.